Republican presidential candidates, including Donald Trump, were in Iowa this past week ahead of the second debate. We'll talk caucuses and other news with Iowa political reporters on this edition of Iowa Press. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite was founded 30 years ago in Dubuque and owned by 1,200 Iowans from more than 45 counties. With resorts in Riverside, Davenport, and Larchwood, Iowa, Elite is committed to the communities we serve. Across Iowa, hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com. For decades, Iowa Press has brought you political leaders and newsmakers from across Iowa and beyond, celebrating 50 years of broadcast excellence on statewide Iowa PBS. This is the Friday, September 22nd edition of Iowa Press. Here is Kay Henderson. We are now less than four months away from the Iowa caucuses, and we can confirm that the Iowa Republican Party and the Iowa Democratic Party will hold in-person caucuses on the same night in January. We've assembled a group of reporters to talk about what's happening on the Iowa caucus campaign trail. They are Clay Masters, host and lead political reporter for Iowa Public Radio, Amanda Rooker, Chief Political Reporter for KCCI TV in Des Moines. Brianne Fonnensteel, Chief Political Reporter for the Des Moines Register. And Aaron Murphy, Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. Folks, thanks for being here. Let's start with something Donald Trump said on a different kind of press, meet the press. He gave an interview last week and he said some things about abortion that have sort of roiled the campaign trail this week. Aaron, you and I and everybody else at this table covered the Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition event on Saturday of last week where this news had sort of been percolating. Yeah, and what happened there is you mentioned those two things that sort of really put this debate uh, about abortion policy front and center in the, in the presidential primary um, for, for a good chunk of this past week um, between former President Trump's interview that you mentioned and, and the Faith and Freedom event where uh, many of the candidates got asked about abortion policy and, and, and specifically at that event, we uh, heard a lot of questions and discussion among the candidates about, you know, should the federal government establish a, a, a law nationwide or should it be left up to the states? You're hearing more and more candidates uh, coalesce around the idea of a 15-week national ban. Some expressed support for that, while others said that it should be left to the state. So it was kind of interesting to see that play out uh, on this issue within the primary. And then there were references to the former president's interview, too, where he claimed uh, without details, as, as is kind of his style, that he has this grand plan that everybody's going to love, including people on the other side of the abortion uh, debate. So, so um, the, you know, one of these issues that obviously is important to Republican voters, and, and we heard a lot about it this week because of those two things. Amanda, a couple of candidates uh, took the stage, Tim Scott, 
and Vivek Ramaswamy, they were not asked about the abortion issue, but the others were by and large. Right, and this, as, as Aaron mentioned, has been an issue that Republicans have maybe struggled to find a winning message on. It's, as he mentioned, there's a lot of different, you know, federal ban or state ban, 15 weeks, six, six weeks that Republicans have been all over the board on. Uh, notably, Donald Trump was not in Iowa after kind of uh, a, a wave of backlash um, over his comments saying that he was going to bring both sides together, something that notably has not been done uh, in you know over 50 years. One candidate, Asa Hutchinson, actually on stage although he did not mention Donald Trump by name, did criticize the former president as saying that, you know, there were no details to his plan and, you know, is, is it even possible to bring both sides together? And notably, they were talking to an audience of Christian conservatives, people who don't necessarily want both sides to be together on this issue. They want, you know, abortion bans and pro-life policies. Um, and, and this was an opportunity for these candidates to try to court such an influential voting block in Iowa. Um, in 2016, we saw nearly two-thirds of GOP caucus goers were Christian conservatives. And so as these candidates are looking to try to be the alternative to Donald Trump, they had an opportunity to you know, make their pitch on abortion. And that's an important point to make there, the outsized role that evangelical Christians play in the Iowa caucuses compared to the overall Republican electorate in, in the primary. And for the Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition town hall that was held there, it was like what evangelicals, I think, wanted to see. You think back to the Family Leadership Summit that Bob Vanderplatz, who was on this show, Tucker Carlson was the person that moderated that, and that turned into a show about Tucker Carlson's thoughts on Ukraine, and it was very much a foreign policy discussion when a lot of these, we've gotten used to the kind of the social conservative uh, culture war kind of conversations taking place. And so this is like, I mean, we used to talk about lanes a lot during the caucus cycles. <laughs> I, I don't see a whole lot of lanes right now with how how it's looking, but these are the people that if somebody's going to take on Donald Trump and win the caucuses in this state, it's going to be in front of an audience like this. And it's really interesting to see how they're responding to these messages, right? You know, Steve Scheffler, who was on this show recently, said evangelical Christians are not a monolith. They're, they're weighing different issues as they go about making their choice for president. We saw issues like Ukraine, like federal spending policy was really important to them. But, you know, our polling shows at the register that 80 percent of likely Republican caucus goers identify as pro-life. And so this is absolutely something that they're weighing. And so it's really interesting to see the candidates kind of, um, you know, figure out how to talk about this. It's not something that they have a unified message on like some of these other issues. And so there's a real kind of split in the party about, you know, a federal ban versus state policy and things like that. And the first person to address that group, the Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition, was Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, who mm -hmm. signed a six-week abortion ban. And before we talk more about Governor Reynolds, um, she shared some tough news this week. Her husband, Kevin, has been diagnosed with lung cancer and is beginning treatment. And I think I speak for everyone at this table when we all are looking forward to the day when we can write a story saying he has been given the all clear and is cancer free. Um, but back to what she said there, she was cheered for her signature on what is essentially a six week abortion ban. And Trump specifically criticized rival Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, for signing a bill that's nearly identical to the one that Kim Reynolds signed. And so you've had a lot of discussion about that over the last week, Brian. 
That's exactly right. I mean, I think one of one of the things Donald Trump said that really has caught fire is calling that six-week ban, quote, terrible. Um, and so that's something that Iowa Republicans are, are really proud of. They're really proud of having gotten that six-week ban through the legislature. As you mentioned, Governor Reynolds signed it at one of these big gatherings where there were um, you know, a couple thousand evangelical Iowans cheering for it, giving her a standing ovation for that. So that's really kind of rankled, um, you know, folks here on the ground. Another thing that that he said was, again, you know, kind of doubling down on this idea that Republicans can't win by talking about abortion mm-hmm. in a general election. And he's blamed that issue for, um, you know, subpar results in the midterms. And that really gets under a lot of evangelical leaders' skin here. And Aaron, I, I spoke with Governor DeSantis this past Monday, and he told our Radio Iowa listeners that essentially Trump's comments bring into question his pro-life credentials, yeah. if you will. Is that the case that you're finding that people are now questioning or getting a little shaky in their support of President Trump? That's the perfect question. And, and I don't know that we have seen that yet and, and whether we even will. Um, obviously, this is an issue that is important to Iowa Republicans. But then at the end of the day, we always talk about is it a needle moving issue? Is it a lever pulling issue? And um, you know, when we go to things other than the Faith and Freedom Coalition and the family leader events and you ask people what their most important issues are, abortion isn't always in the pro-life, however you want to phrase it, isn't always in the top three. The most ones, common ones I hear are immigration, uh, you know, border security and the economy. Um, so I don't know that this hurts Donald Trump in, in, the, in the primary. And we always talk about the people who support Trump are going to support him no matter what. And we have evidence of that even within the last week when, when he was here in Iowa. And <clears throat> two of the people who uh, continue to show support for him uh, out of the Iowa legislature are Shannon Latham, who ran the six-week bill here in Iowa that you described, and Luana Stoltenberg, who is one of the more fervent supporters of she supports the, she, she a wants the life at conception on abortion exactly and she, and she was at the uh, event Makoka. that was held in Makokota for former president Donald Trump who was here earlier this week and yeah she was on there talking about her support she did not uh, during his remarks in Makokota which happened before Dubuque he did not bring up abortion there but it did come up but I do want to go back I mean I talked to a, a handful of people in the audience and it doesn't matter what he says. They see him as an embattled uh, former president running again. Uh, people are still saying the same thing they said to me eight years ago when he was first running, that they like that he uh, says it like it is in their opinion and that he's like one of us, whatever that means. Uh, so people are, are passionate about him still. And I talk to people, you know, do you remember who you caucused for eight years ago? And I heard uh, Rand Paul, I heard Ted Cruz, I heard Ben Carson. This time around, they're, they, they know that they're going for the former president in the caucuses. Uh, another, oh, well, I was just going to say another thing when we talked about how people have been struggling, right, Republican candidates have been struggling on the messaging, a lot of it is around what federal action they would take. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to point as a governor that you've signed a six-week abortion ban, but how would you actually do that at a federal level? Trump seems to be the only candidate that can say, hey, I've taken federal action on this because I've appointed three Supreme Court justices. He mentioned that again in Dubuque, although also you know, blaming midterm losses on abortion. That, when I talk to Christian conservatives and evangelicals, they say, you know, hey, he's responsible for the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and, and that's, I'm sold, that's enough I need to see. Brian, that 
rally in Dubuque was the first that he's had in a while here in Iowa. What was the significance of those two events, the rally in Maquoketa and then the rally in Dubuque? Well, these events come after he's gotten some negative press for not campaigning in, in Iowa too frequently or, or elsewhere, really. He's just not as present as some of these other candidates. And clearly, you know, it's it's working well enough for him, right? He's up 23 points in the, the Register's Iowa poll. But, um, you know, he's gotten some negative press about maybe phoning it in and taking for granted the fact that he, he could win this this race. And so he's he's come back. They've, his campaign has indicated they plan to be back in, in a more frequent schedule over the next couple of months to try and lock this up, right? They want to put the nail in the DeSantis coffin, as it were. They they really want to be able to show that that nobody in Iowa is coming within striking distance of him. They want to be able to win pretty decisively. So it's interesting to see the campaign strategy reflect that. Um, and again, um, talking to, to big numbers of people in Dubuque. And we should clarify that, and, and I know Brian knows this, but that when Donald Trump talks about picking up the pace and campaign in Iowa more regularly. That's a, that's a relative description. It is more frequent compared to his pace. It's still far behind the pace of candidates like Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Mike Pence, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Amanda, let's talk about the pace of the campaign. Has it picked up? Well, that's a tough, I mean, we're talking about this cycle that in many ways unprecedented is a, bud, a buzzword that we hate throwing out because every week is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. But this just seems like such a slower cycle than maybe what we've seen in past years on the campaign trail. Although I want to talk about that picking up the pace for Trump. I think he's made seven visits to the state this year, uh, now eight with Maquoketa and Dubuque. Uh, like you mentioned, that's the start of a five-trip uh, swing through the state that he's going to be make for him that's picking up the pace. Um, but these numbers that we're looking at in statewide polls range from 20 to 30 points up that Trump has. And that hasn't moved a ton since he started in this race. We're less than four months to the caucuses and there hasn't been a lot of movement. And so I think we're seeing some of the other candidates really drill in on Iowa, thinking that, hey, Iowans haven't decided yet who their alternative is, so I have four months left to convince mm -hmm. Iowans to coalesce around me. So you have Ron DeSantis, who is one of the only ones doing a 99-county tour, and he is stopping in six counties a day. He is, you know, coming, to bringing parent coalitions together, bringing pastors together. You have Ramaswamy, who's done, you know, near 70 events, maybe more in the state. None of that's showed up in the polls yet, but their point, at least to me, has over and over been, you know, it's not too late yet. We're going to see a, a late break, and I'm going to be the one that Iowans are going to break for. And Clay and Maquoketa, Trump brought up 2016 and his disappointment that it was second place here for him. Yeah, and I mean, trivia with people who don't pay as close attention to this. <laughs> who did he come in second to in 2016? Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, he was bringing that up again, and I remember eight years ago him being frustrated that he was tied in the polls in the Des Moines Register Iowa poll uh, with the, the senator from Texas. And he did. He brought it up again. He was talking about it. And if you remember, there was a kerfuffle that happened with uh, Ted Cruz saying that Ben Carson had uh, dropped out and that he, I don't even remember all the details of it, but he was trying to use that as a way to say that there was, uh, you know, uh, that the results were flawed. And he was not necessarily saying it the exact same way that he did eight years ago after he came in second, 
but it, you can tell that it still bothers him to an extent that he had to come in second uh, eight years ago, and he's saying, you know, look at all the things that I did for you when I was president, and I'll do more of that, and it'll be, I mean, I don't need to re go over the entire speech again, but he's definitely bringing it up again. Well, let me get in the way back machine then. Uh, in 2012 <laughs> and in 2016, the years leading up to that, we had these big, huge, important televised debates featuring mm -hmm. the candidates, and somebody would rise to the top based on a performance, you know, like President Scott Walker um, early um, in the campaign. But then they'd fizzle out, someone else would rise to the top. We have a debate coming up this Wednesday of next week. Brianne, what are you expecting, if anything? Well, it could be another year like that, right? But in a different way. Donald Trump is not attending these debates. Mm -hmm. He's indicated he doesn't plan to attend this one as well. Um, and so we're really seeing a fight for second place at this point. You know, people are really clustered kind of in that second tier, um, you know, 20, 30 points behind Donald Trump. And so it's really a fight for relevance there. Who, Who is his primary challenger? And so in the first debate, we saw Vivek Ramaswamy have a moment, right? He, um, you know, commanded a lot of attention. He was in a lot of the back and forth debates. And so he got a lot of notice in that, people who hadn't really heard of him before. And I think we saw more people at his events after the fact. He was in the news pretty constantly for the week after that. Um, somebody like Nikki Haley, I think, had a good debate night. Um, you know, people said that she kind of shone there. And so there is the potential for movement, right, for people to gain attention. You know, um, is it going to be enough to catapult them up above Donald Trump? Maybe not at this point, but it is shaking up that race for second place. Well, and that's the, the problem with polling right now is that, you know, if there's a surge for somebody in the polls, it's like, okay, that's nowhere near 2012 or 2016 when you saw, like in 2012, Michelle Bachman have a moment or in 2016 when Ben Carson had a moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still very low in, in the polling, but at the same time, too, the last two cycles, I remember talking to people right up to the last few weeks of the caucus campaign, still trying to figure it out, still trying to work it out. And I think if there are, you know, we've a lot of times said there's three tickets out of Iowa. If there are two tickets out of Iowa, that second ticket is something that we're going to see people competing for. Well, Aaron, what has to happen for a breakthrough performance here? And yeah. what would a breakthrough performance mm -hmm. mean? Does it mean winning or does it mean coming in a close second? I think the the latter is an is an open question and and open for debate, but it's a perfect dovetail off of what Clay was just saying because um, there is a there's obviously a, a two tiers here. There's Donald Trump and there's everyone else, and um, I have been saying that I you don't have to win Iowa. That's never been the case. It, it, Iowa hasn't picked the eventual candidate in I don't know how many cycles, but for it hasn't been the last two yeah. or three for Republicans. Ted Cruz was not the eventual nominee. Um, Rick Santorum was not the eventual nominee. Mike Huckabee. Uh, Mike Huckabee was not the eventual nominee, and we can go back a few more, I think. Um, so that's, and that gets to the three ticket things. Iowa's job is not to pick the winner. It's to to whittle away at the bottom. Now, you can't just stay at five, six, seven, eight percent here either and finish second at nine percent in Iowa. That's not going to be good enough. Now, if someone can, to the points that have been made around this table today, take a coalesce that group and take a leap, and if I, I think Donald Trump can win this thing at 23% say, I'm just throwing numbers out here. And if someone finishes second at 18, 
that's going to be seen across the country by, wow, look at this person that's shooting out of the pack. Maybe that's someone. And then the next few states will give that person a closer look and maybe they make this competitive race going forward. And particularly, particularly in a state like Iowa, where there is so much love for Donald Trump among Iowa Republicans and particularly Republican caucus goers, if, if he has a substandard showing, right, if, if they're able to cut into his lead and bring him down from where he started, I think that's meaningful. But again, we're, we're talking about needing to really move the, right. the needle in ways that we have not yet seen. And, and it's been, right, Nikki Haley was the second person to, to jump into the race in like February or early March. I mean, it's been a while since then, and we have not seen any movement. Trump has maintained this massive lead. But I did, I talked to both Nikki Haley and DeSantis uh, last weekend, and both of them told me, although they won't say, you know, they say, you know, it's not, it's surmountable and we plan on coming in first. But both of them said their goal is to exceed expectations in Iowa and that they think that that is going to color how they perform in New Hampshire and how they perform in South Carolina. So both of them who right now have been polling, you know, DeSantis has been in second, but so far, you know, behind Trump, Nikki Haley, someone who's kind of seeing, having a moment a little bit in Iowa right now in third-ish, um, they want to be, you know, they want to exceed expectations. And I do think that can still happen. I, I'm not saying it will. I do think that can still happen because we still go to events and people still have lists, right? Mm -hmm. that we're still not hearing, I have my candidate, I'm set to go. We're still hearing, I have three, four, five people I'm thinking. So that can happen. I don't know that it will. Um, and to Brian's point, it has to happen in a much bigger way than we've seen it yet. A lot, lot of ink and broadcast time on the national level being spilled about um, Governor Kim Reynolds endorsing Brianne. We don't have an update, do we? We don't have an update at this point, right? You know, Governor Kim Reynolds, um, obviously, as as you mentioned earlier, has a lot on her plate right now, and so, um, you know, she she's been out. She has continued to invite all of the candidates to to her events. You know, she hosted the Fairside Chats at the State Fair, but interestingly, um, she's not having a cattle call for her annual mm -hmm. fundraiser. She is not inviting any of the candidates to speak there. She has a different political guest. And so that was interesting to me. And so, you know, again, people are going to be looking at how how she interacts with these folks and and how she engages with them. She sat with Ron DeSantis at the Hot <coughs> game. She did not interact with Donald Trump while he was there. And so people are reading into that and trying to decide, again, she's probably having some of these same political calculations as well. Can an endorsement move the needle? Can it impact this race in a meaningful way? Clay, Iowa Democrats made a decision last weekend to hold their in-person caucuses on? January 15th, which for those of you paying attention at home, that's the <laughs> same day that the Iowa Republicans are going to hold the caucuses. One difference here is that we still don't know how the presidential preference portion of the caucuses will take place. We'd need another half hour to go through all the ins and outs of what's happened with the Democratic National Committee's Rules and Bylaws Committee, a committee within a committee that sets the calendar. Uh, but they are moving forward with January 15th. That's when they will do the party business. That's when they talk about platform. Maybe some people will get up and talk about who they support. But again, we still don't know how the presidential preference portion of this is going to work. We still don't know if there's a candidate in Iowa's third congressional district, which, which is the one that has the closest voter registration margin. 
Yeah, it's as toss-up as they come in Iowa, and uh, it's getting late. And I know that sounds silly for me to mm. say more than a year out from the general election, but when you look historically in Iowa at this point in previous cycles, the, the, the challengers have been in already. So it's pretty striking that we don't have a challenger to Zach Nunn yet. Well, and the chair of the uh, Iowa Democratic Party actually wrote a letter to the DNC saying, you know, give us more money because we have competitive seats. Well, yes, and part of that is right now there is obviously an outsized role that Republicans are playing in Iowa right now where spotlight and attention is on them. Democrats in the state suffered a really devastating loss uh, back, you know, in the midterms here. So they need, you know, outside support potentially to try to come up against this wave of attention on Republicans. They're already kind of in a fight with national Democrats over their own caucus state. So to try to find, you know, really strong uh, candidates that can win potentially winnable districts, uh, you know, they're trying to make that argument, it seems, to the DNC. And, and really quickly, the, the Democratic Congressional Committee has said they will right. put resources in the third, not necessarily the first or second yet. They have pledged the third. We just need a candidate. A minute left, folks. Does anyone at this table have reporting that would suggest that a potential government shutdown would have an effect on the 2024 election? Brian? You know, people have short memories, and so <laughs> something that happens today, um, it's, it's hard to say exactly how it's going to affect the 24 elections, but, you know, things have been a roller coaster in the U.S. House of Representatives, and so we'll, we'll see how that progresses. We do know they're generally unpopular, and, and, and the party in control will get blamed for them, so that's Republicans decide, but whether it matters in an election that's more than a year from now, it's, it's hard to predict that that would happen. And Chuck Grassley on this program last week said that there's a political cost and there's pressure from the public and then the government gets reopened, which costs money, extra money, and the people agitating for change don't get what they may want. And he's been there for every government shutdown. The first one was in 1976. Yeah. And real quick, just have, to, oh, sorry, go ahead. We are Get out of time, Aaron. We'll have to, I'll ha save, it we'll for have the next to one. save this discussion for the Shut next uh, Reporters Roundtable <laughs> on Iowa Press. You can watch every one of these episodes online at radio, not at radioiowa.com, at <laughs> iowapbs.com. For everyone here at Iowa PBS, thanks for watching. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation. The Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Elite Casino Resorts is rooted in Iowa. Elite's 1,600 employees are our company's greatest asset. A family-run business, Elite supports volunteerism, encourages promotions from within, and shares profits with our employees. Across Iowa, hundreds of neighborhood banks strive to serve their communities, provide jobs, and help local businesses. Iowa banks are proud to back the life you build. Learn more at iowabankers.com.